Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Julie and Steve. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol. In the second part of this two-part series, we continue our conversation with Ashley, Chris, and John about the first 30 days of sobriety. We discuss the mental obsession with drinking and share tactics that worked for us to fight cravings. We talk about what it means to really take life one day at a time without worrying about what the future might hold. We share more about the fears surrounding life without alcohol and wondering who we even are when it feels like we've lost an integral part of ourselves. And we also acknowledge that without support from others, sobriety would be a lot harder, if not impossible. Remember that every time you hit like, or especially subscribe or follow, it lets the podcast platforms know that you think we've shared some valuable content here and other people that might benefit from our podcast will be more likely to see it. I feel like when you have other people in front of you that know what you're going through, it's so much easier. Because this world sucks. I mean, let's be honest, okay? The world sucks. People judge you. Like, it's hard. And you're sitting here drinking. And, you know, like, for me, my mom was an alcoholic. I mean, really bad. You know, she got, like, four DUIs. And when I told her I was going to quit drinking, she kind of was like, you don't have a problem. So I got a lot of that. You don't have a problem. There's nothing wrong with you. But then they're saying, why can't you just have one beer? Well, you can't tell me I don't have a problem and then ask me why I only have one beard. So I felt so pulled in so many directions. And then when I finally found people that just understood where I'm coming from, I felt still. Like, I think this is probably the most clarity and peace and acceptance in myself that I've ever had in my whole entire life. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've been on something since I was probably 12 years old. And it's just, it definitely blows my mind how broken I think I still was, even though I thought, man, you know, when I was on drugs, I quit and I went, so I'm fine now. Right. Like I went and saw a therapist. I'm good, but I wasn't because I just feel like if we're not struggling to drink, then you don't have a problem. You're okay. But I was still struggling. So yeah. That's a hard one when people tell you it's really not that bad. I think my yeah. husband kind of made me feel that way. He just had no idea how much I was actually drinking. Mm-hmm. But when someone starts telling you, oh, you're not that bad, it's really easy to be like, maybe it really wasn't that bad. You know, you get it's that whole like the the alcoholic voice, right? When enough people tell you, or when you've heard enough, well, you really didn't drink that much. You really don't need to quit. That little alcoholic voice in the back of your head is like, yes, they're right. (laughs) You know, and it's so easy to fall right back into that, especially early on, because I, I don't know, it just, it tricks you right back into thinking, oh, it wasn't that bad. And you forget so fast how bad it was. For me, journaling was a big thing. And it started, I mean, the first 30 days and I still journal every day, but 
I could, you know, make it to 20 days and look back at day two and day three and be like, oh, yeah, it was definitely as bad as I thought it was. And I wrote out this story, like it was on day five. And this is like a ridiculous example of the mental gymnastics. But I quit in the fall. We were digging potatoes in the garden. So every year since forever, we have dug potatoes in the garden. And then I make this potato soup. And potato soup has white wine in it. So on day five, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't make the soup. Maybe I'll make the soup. Maybe I'll just go get one of the little tiny bottles of wine. And then it was like, well, maybe I'll get a whole bottle of wine and I'll drink the whole bottle of wine other than the one cup that has to go in the soup. No, I can't do that because I'm supposed to quit. Maybe I'll just use chicken broth. Maybe we don't need to have soup. I mean, it was this, this <laughs> cycle. And I mean, I, but I wrote it all down. And so three weeks later, when I'm like, maybe it really wasn't that bad. I could go back and read that. Be like, holy shit. I couldn't even make a decision about soup because the mental gymnastics were so messed up. And it was just that it was the constant. It was just ridiculous. And I'm really glad that I took the time to just write that stuff down so that I could go back and look at it. I mean, I could look at it 10 minutes after I wrote it and be like, girl, you have a problem. <laughs> Your mind just spins. Like how I said, the clarity, like when you're going through that, your mind is constantly always racing, like always. And that's the thing, like in the first 30 days, that's all I thought about was drinking. Like now, yeah, I will occasionally, but I mean, every minute of every day I was thinking, I'm never going to be able to drink again. I want to drink. I'm never going to be able to drink again over and over and over. And it was just, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And that, that does go away though. It does go away. Yeah. But you're crazy in the meantime. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meetings are also kind of like a shorthand for people who aren't dedicated to journal. It's like you listen to other people's stories and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> I will have no part of that again. <laughs> I think right. going to the meetings, I think we all went to meetings really early in, in our first 30 days and it became a part of our first 30 days. For sure. It was that feeling of you're not alone. Really, you you go to a meeting and at least when I went there, went to a meeting and I start listening to other people. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm not near as different as I thought I was. I'm not near as broken as I thought I was. I'm actually there's actually a whole bunch of people that have experienced and are experiencing the exact same thing that I'm experiencing right now in in their own form, in their own way. And somehow and Jesus wow, okay, they can actually help me through this because they've done it. Like, that's pretty awesome. This sucks <laughs> right now, but they've done it. That's, okay. So, you know, that one day at a time, the one minute at a time, like you said, Chris, is like as cliche as it gets, but it is so true. It is. It is so true. And it, it, and when somebody tells you like it will pass, like the craving will pass it in that moment, it sits there and it gnaws at you and, and it's tight and you're all, everything's uncomfortable as hell, right? Your body's uncomfortable. Your mind is racing. Everything is just like, I want this now. And you know, 20 minutes, half an hour later, it's not there anymore. Or, you know, 
ask for help. That was like one of the best lessons that for me driving, because I was so scared of it. I literally picked up, I had somebody on the phone almost all the time when I was alone in, in the truck for the first 30 days, almost every day to work and back. Like I was, I had, I was lucky to have a friend that was always there. Yeah. I think that's where I messed up like on my resets and stuff because I didn't reach out when I felt, you know, like if someone was telling me, ah, you know, you, you don't have a problem, have one beer or I'm having that craving. I wouldn't just like text someone or call. I would just like, eh, you know what? You're right. I don't. And then I'd wake up the next morning because I drank the whole day and night and blacked out and was like, Oh yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. I shouldn't have been drinking. So if I would have just listened, you know, and maybe reached out like everyone told me to, I think it would have went a lot better than, you know, talking to Steve for the whole night and me being completely blacked out drunk. And then I had to tell you in the morning. So that was, that was a good time. That was pretty what, awesome though. Like you, a good joke. <laughs> I mean, just the, the courage you had that, next day to say um i drank yeah i was like i need to take a shower but i was completely blacked mm. out last night i will talk to you when i get out because yeah. i have to wrap my head around some things <laughs> i think too going back to the meetings because we all keep talking about going to meetings for me sometimes that was just a way to fill the time one of the hardest things about the first 30 days or even 60 or 90 days it's like it went from never feeling like I had enough time to do anything to feeling like there were 143 hours in every day and like I could get to four o'clock and then the time like the clock just slowed down Mm -hmm. and it crawled until it was a reasonable hour to try to go to bed and meetings helped fill that time for sure. And I think also that's when I realized I need some hobbies because I didn't know what to do with that time. And <laughs> there was, I mean, I ended up knitting and sewing and playing piano and I learned so many different things, but I think that's a really important part of the early days is what you're going to have more time than you know what to do with. If you're not busy, all you're going to do is sit there and think about the fact that you can't have a drink. Like that was like the number one way I spent my time. The first time I quit drinking was just sitting around for like five or six hours every night thinking about the fact that I wasn't drinking. And the second round, it does suck. I mean, it does like it slows time down and it's miserable and it just makes you angry. And so the second time I quit, I had stuff lined up. Like I made a list of all the things that I've always wanted to learn how to do. (laughs) And I started learning how to do them. I mean, I, yeah, there were all kinds of things. I think that's really just an important, it's a little thing. Like it's not this big, huge mental thing that we have to wrap our heads around. Like a lot of early sobriety is, it's just the logistical, find something to do and know ahead of time what that's going to be. Because when four or five o'clock rolls around, that voice in your head is going to be like, you don't have anything to do. We should go drink. So having a plan is really important. I'll, I'll, I'll point out that I think at least in the first 30 days for me, my experience was like, 
I didn't know what my hobbies were going to be. And I don't think like knowing them or being prepared for them is, but the first 30 days are really just the key is, is, is knowing that you have to go find them. Try a couple things out. Be bad at stuff. It's okay. The first 30 days are just like, figure out what your future might hold for hobbies. What I do now in my spare time is miles away from a year ago when I was first starting off. But it was okay just to have something there that, that filled the space. I think the meetings for me, I, I got them less spaceful, but I might have been unashamed about going to bed at like 6.30. So uh, <laughs> that's how I am at work. But but you people have been talking about like being told there's not that bad a problem. And I never had people tell me it's a problem. And, you know, even when I would try to explain to other people, I had that too. Meetings were a place where I actually found someone who would say like, yeah, you're kind of a mess too. Like, but welcome to the club. And I know there's a lot of debate about labels and whether we call ourselves alcoholics or not. And for me, I, I do. But there was actually a lot of freedom about coming to a meeting and being able to use that word and be like, oh, thank God. I know what my problem is now. Mm-hmm. Someone has told me. They all smile and nod when I say yes. And they're like, yep, that's right. You are. It's like, phew, now, now it makes sense. This whole path that I've left behind me of like chaos and confusion and unhappiness. And, and mine's not super destructive, but just miserable. And to look back and be like, oh, now I understand a little better what all this is all about. And now when I go forward, not just that I have the support or they have the memory of the past, but I have some rational basis for like, why do I still quit? It's like, because I look back, all that unhappiness for all those years, it's not that alcohol was the only thing that made me unhappy. There's other stress too, but it sure fueled a lot of it. Didn't fix any of my problems. So I think a place to just feel like, to feel that the, the both at the same time labeled but loved with it, because I think that's something we rarely get out in the world, is to be like, both you're an alcoholic and it's okay. That those rarely go together outside of a meeting. But to have that, you're like, oh, phew. I got to make yeah. That acceptance is, is beautiful, isn't mm-hmm. it? With, without the denial that there's a problem, right? Because they're right. going to be like, oh, you're fine. And they're like, no, like now I don't feel heard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you, you, you come to a meeting and, and you're like, yeah, I have a problem. And everyone's like, yeah, me too. Come here. I'll give you a hug. <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah, me too. But let's My first and- meeting was someone talking about their year and I listened and I'm like, yeah, I did that. And I did that. And I did that. I was like, oh, okay. I'm in the right place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are my people. This is my tribe. <laughs> yeah. Julie, I wanted to go back to what you said about hobbies. Cause I'm going to bring up my boyfriend always gets on me that I don't have hobbies. I'm boring, I guess. I don't know. But I don't know why it popped into my head now, but that is our hobby is drinking. Like mm-hmm. I literally cannot help drinking. And before that it was like, I don't know, watching TV and getting, you know, messed up on pills. Like it was always a hobby, you know, every single day, every moment. That's all I thought about was some way of being numb even caffeine like it's just like there I always had to have something that was my hobby was just 
not being here was my hobby, I guess, like not being present. Yeah, it, I mean, that's all I did was drink and watch TV and generally pass out to whatever I was watching. Like that was how I spent most evenings. And you have to completely rewrite what your evening looks. That's one of the things when I was thinking about the first 30 days for me, I mean, I'm a stay at home mom. My life is a very defined routine every single day. So at like between four and five o'clock every single day, I started cooking dinner. That's when the nighttime routine started. And that is when the drinking started. So it would be cook dinner and then, you know, go outside and take care of animals, do some chores, whatever, and then get the kids ready for bed and then, you know, read stories and get them to bed and then just drink and until I passed out. And the first thing that I changed was I stopped cooking dinner. Which sounds but I like I realized that that was the thing that triggered it. It if it was for, if I needed to start dinner at four o'clock or if I needed to start dinner at six o'clock, it was walking into the kitchen, pulling out some pots and pans that triggered that like instant reaction. I'm supposed to be drinking right now. So I started throwing food in the crock pot so I could just take that part of my life away for a little while. Like the first 30 days, that's all I did. I would make like a huge batch of something in the crock pot and then I didn't have to cook for a few days. And then I would figure out what the next thing was going to look like, but it wasn't going to be a part of my routine. Like my, I just changed the entire thing. And then there were, there were a lot fewer triggers that way. And then I made myself do something that involved activity or thinking, not just sitting and watching mindless TV, because that was another thing that just made me want to pick up something and drink it. Yeah. That was one thing too, for me was recognizing what was making me drink in the first place and being prepared. Cause I don't think I would, like, I came in cocky in a sense, like, mm, I'll be fine. Like I can do this. It's not a big deal. And it was a big deal, obviously, because I wasn't ready for this triggers that were making me drink. And that would just make me fall off every time because I was like, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to reach out to anyone. You know, I'm going to go here still, even though I know if I go here, I'm going to drink, you know, but once I recognized that it helped so much. Yeah, changing routine was a big deal for me. And it was evening for me as well. And watching, you know, after dinner, watching television, I'm a big, I was a wine girl. So I'd want, I want to have, you know, start the wine with the dinner and then just continue on. So I had to have, I had to have so many beverages in the house, non-alcoholic beverages. I mean, I have like, all the different sparkling waters, all, you know, I'm, I love kombucha. I have iced tea, all the different kinds of like herbal tea, like hot, cold, whatever. I feel like I constantly have a beverage in my hand, you know? And so now, even if I am watching television, I've got that, that I'm drinking, uh, eating ice cream. I love to eat ice cream now at night. <laughs> And I take it upstairs, you know, like if I'm, I, once I've finished eating dinner, then I can go upstairs and I can still watch TV up there, but I've got, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm just far away, you know, from more far away from thinking about, about drinking. And then I tend to fall asleep in bed then. So that's, that's good. The other thing I was going to say is the one thing I found in past times where I've tried to drink, I mean, tried to stop drinking and it didn't last was 
right around 30 days, I feel so good that I decide I'm fine. I can moderate. I'm fine. I, I can now I now I know I need to just drink, you know, one or two glasses of wine and stop there. And then I would do that and fail and do that and fail and then say it again and do it again. So I just, you know, that's one thing I have to really like take in deeply is that the answer is no drinks for me. You know, some people can moderate. That is not my path. So that's, that was a, that is a lot of acceptance and it still is, you know, and I can't say at this point that it still doesn't come to my mind that I'm like, yeah, I could probably do that. And then I'm just like, no, you can't do that, Chris. Like, you know that you've tried this so many times. And the only reason you feel this great and are doing this good is because I'm not drinking, you know? So I think it gets easier once that clicks too. Once that clicks in your mind and really clicks, not like, you know, the first week and you're like, yeah, I can't drink, you know? Cause I do the same thing. You get to 30 days and you're like, nah, I'm fine. I want a month. Like, I'm just going to go and have one beer. And again, then you're passed out everywhere. But once that clicks in your head that you cannot moderate, I felt like that's, it's downhill from there. It's just easier. Like it's effortless. Cause once I just accept something, I'm good. But it's like, when I know I can't do something, I want to be stubborn and go against authority and be like, no, I'm going to do it you know, and yeah. then you just mess up. But yeah, that's so true. So true. Yeah. Because it, it, I realize now, like I'll say, it, once it's on me, like, I don't want to drink. I want mm-hmm. at least like six. And I, yeah. I, I, I really yeah. feel that. Like when I think about mm-hmm. a drink, I'm yeah, like, absolutely. a drink? That's the that's It's ridiculous. That's right? Why would you? What, what, I want to get, I want to get so effed up. that I just am on, like, I'm done. Like, this is a party. Like, this is an activity. This isn't, you know? Yeah, it's all all by myself one, too. Yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. No, I don't. I want want the experience of having, like, eight and the consequences of having one. And (laughs) But, like, once I'm a little honest (laughs) with the fact that I really want eight, I'm like, hang on. Like, the, the craving is for eight, but like when I actually think like, how do I picture myself? It's not someone who sits down and says it's like eight. So I'm, I'm like, wait, I, ooh, mm, I don't really want to do that anymore. And that does make it easier, I think, because I know that like the picture in my head of like what I'm going to drink is not really what my body is craving. The two aren't matched up anymore. It's not yeah. interesting. That does yeah. get easier. Mm-hmm. It's craving just the release of like, whatever is going on inside, you know? Yeah, whatever. it wants oblivion. Exactly. That's what you're craving, oh. you know? Mm-hmm. That was something that I had to learn too. You're going to be uncomfortable. Things are going to happen. You're going to get really stressed out. You're going to get really angry. You're going to get really sad and depressed. And that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to do anything to try to make it go away. I remember thinking I'm super like, I I was super stressed out. I'm like, I can't drink. What am I supposed to do now to turn it off? It never occurred to me. You're just not supposed to turn it off. You just are supposed to feel that. And then you're going to be okay afterwards. It's going to pass. You're not going to feel that way forever. 
and then you move on with life. That was a lesson I actually had to learn. I think that comes naturally to a lot of people. I think that that's a lesson most people learn when they're younger. I never (laughs) figured it out. So I'm like, what do I do when I feel something uncomfortable? How am I here? Exactly. (laughs) It's okay. We didn't want to be emotional. You know, Mm -hmm. like I have, I have a problem still a little bit with being emotional because I just want to drown it out, you know, and until we learn like to just let it all out there and just cry and do whatever we need to do to get relief, you know, then I feel like we'll be okay. Yeah, the, The deep magic you find, I think, in the meetings is that you go through that. And as it turns out, it's less bad when you don't drink. Right. Because you mm-hmm. believe, I need to block all this. I need to not feel. And you you cannot conceive in the first 30 days Mm-mm. that it'll be better not drinking. Like that, that did not even register on my consciousness. Not even as like a theoretical idea that other people talk about. But over time, and I think this is where the repetition of the meanings we talk about uh, cliches, but part of the reason is you have to hear it dozens, hundreds of times to really have it sink in and be like, oh, wait. And then you look back, you know, I'm almost at a year. That's a good time to look back, right? And it's like, wait, this act, like emotionally, I've been kind of bored lately. Like, I don't know. People ask me how things go. I'm like, I don't know. It's, I got work, kids, back to school. Like, there isn't any of the terrible stuff that I feared. But you you have to take it a little on faith early on that, like, there'll be a better future because you cannot conceive of how much better it can get because it's not better in the way you hoped it would be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can't you can't take that picture of, and Julie likes to say it, I wish I could give you a photo album of what your future looks like when you stop drinking, when you quit drinking and you start doing the work and you start, you know, experiencing life the way you, you should, when you start seeing everything in color, when it stops being black and white and it starts getting, you know, color starts to show up, emotion starts to show up, you start feeling happiness, you start feeling joy, you, you stop. And one of the things I like to say is the bad days start disappearing into all of the good days instead of the other way around. Like you used to have so many bad days that the good days disappeared. And now I have so many good days that the bad days disappear. Today wasn't a good day for me. Today I had a really crappy day for the most part, stressed out. I was, I've been irritated for a good portion of the day. Like I'd like level nine irritation. Like I'm like my phone rings and I'm like, what the, no, <laughs> It's just been that kind of day. I know it's going to pass. I know it's going to pass. It's just how it works. What do I do? I talk about it. It's just how my day is going to go today. I know I need an attitude adjustment. It'll happen. I just need something. Something's off. You know what I mean? I got to, you know, did I eat? Am I hungry? Ask myself, go right back to simple things, right? But back to the 30 days. Kind of going to what John says, you don't absorb all of the things you hear. You hear so much stuff, uh, especially when you go to meetings, which is, I mean, this is I, the common theme we all have. Every We're all saying is we all went to the meetings. We all had 
would listen to what other people had to say, whatever you could, whatever you could absorb, because you don't hear or absorb a tenth of what you hear when you're when you go to them or when you talk like hanging on for dear life and that's what it feels like and you you hear it gets better and it's hard to believe on day 12 when you feel like your life is crumbling around you you can't go to that social event you can't do this and you don't want to do that and you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow and you're worried about all of that stuff. And then you wake up the next morning and it's today and you're like, okay, I'm going to try this again. I made it. Woo! Let's try. <laughs> right. Like I, I, I did it. I made it one more day. And that was, that was, I remember that being like exciting. I did it. I, I made it through that hard, crappy event you know, the, tra- the the craving drove past the liquor store and I didn't stop. And I had the courage to tell someone how I felt, which was like something I never did. And gee, it felt kind of good. It felt good to like get it off my chest and actually face reality a little bit and, and say, okay, like I, I don't have to drink today. It's the hard thing. Okay, I have lots of time. What am I going to do with it? I have no idea. But at least I didn't drink. And that that became something that was acceptable. I didn't drink today. That was cool. Some days, that's it. That's all your goal can be is just Mm -hmm. to get through the day and not drink. And wake up the next morning and see what the day holds. But like the first 30 days, you're only job is just don't drink and you made me steve you made me think of something so funny like we sit here and we're like you know one day at a time and you know it can be annoying to someone that is just starting out because i remember mm-hmm. <laughs> when i was meeting i got off and i was like oh these people are way too happy for me like that's <laughs> all i thought. like no way that i can do this like there was no way I was like, something's up. They're just too positive. And it's like cheesy and corny. And I was like cringing, you know, but I kept coming back. And now look, I'm the same way. The corny, cringy person. We're all actually that happy. Yeah. It's, yeah. Truth. I, I think it's also interesting, really. You know, that to me is like how, how different everyone's story is here or in the meetings in general. And like, what our drinking was like and what our recovery has been like. And yet we all have the same common themes about like finding acceptance and how we push through. And and I think that's maybe one of the most important things to try to absorb is that, you know, there's something that's different and unique about each of us, but there's still this common theme for all of us to end up, you know, like if you, if you have to even think about going to a meeting, there's a common theme to all of like how we got here. And it's, it's a little bit funny, but it's also kind of serious. Like we all got here. Cause like, we're not real good with like emotional processing and like, you know, managing decisions and stuff like that. And that's okay. You got a home. Yeah, exactly. It's, mm-hmm. um, you go to a meeting and there's 20 people there and you're one of them. And there's 19 other reflections of yourself. 
It's really a beautiful thing. Anyways, guys, I want to thank you very much for your time tonight and coming on the podcast and sharing your experiences. Uh, it's been fantastic having you guys on tonight. Really, thank you. Thank you guys for doing this. That was yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you both for having us here. Thank you. We'd also like to thank our listeners for sharing space with us. Remember to subscribe or follow to keep getting new content. And if you have any comments or topic suggestions, email us at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com. We'll see you next time as we continue to explore life on the other side of alcohol.